Hello, uh, this is Anlanta's Artist Support Podcast. Um, this is a, a series of interviews with interesting creative people who are living and working in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland. Um, this is episode one, and I am talking to uh, Keith Morrison. Uh, Keith uh, runs a recording studio on the Isle of Lewis called We Studio, which in uh, recent years has become a record label, uh, We Studio Records, uh, best known for the phenomenon that is uh, Pete and Diesel, uh, but many other acts too. Uh, so he runs a record label, he's a sound engineer, he's also a musician who performs with uh, numerous bands, um, and he has also been an incredible champion of Hebridean musicians for as long as uh, anyone can remember. Um, Keith, welcome. Hello, it's a pleasure. Um, how do you, I mean, firstly, did I miss anything off that list? It's a, that long list of all the things that you do. Oh, yeah, probably. I can't remember myself anyway, so it's <laughs> it's not it's not a big deal. <laughs> I mean, how, how do you, firstly, how do you juggle all these different things in your life? Uh, yeah, well, I've always been a wee bit of a maniac with, uh, with big plans and uh, keeping myself busy. So, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, take one day one day at a time and and try and be as professional and organized as possible with your calendar um but yeah juggling is, is, is definitely the right word there's always there's always disasters and rearrangements and uh, other commitments that pop in here there and everywhere uh but just like music you've got to you've got to learn how to improvise to survive mm. <laughs> i mean i yeah i mean you grew up on lewis um what was the island like when you were a kid uh, yeah, I had a great upbringing, to be honest. Um, one of the lucky ones, had lots of friends, uh, musical parents, which got me into, you know, my my passion and life career, which which is which is gold, really. Um, and my my school life was fantastic. Looking back at the time, I wouldn't have agreed, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, just just a lovely a lovely lovely place to to grow up in with with you know with my experience. Um, that's why I'm still here, I suppose. The love for the place—that's that's why I'm bringing up uh, bringing up my kids here and everything. So yeah. Which part of the island did you grow up on? Uh, so I grew up in town. I grew up in Stornoway, so I'm a townie. Um, then, uh, when I was about uh, twelve, no, not even twelve, maybe about ten, my parents moved a few miles out of town, so we were in the suburbs. And uh, that's where I was until I got my own place, but seven miles out of town. And uh, my recording studio is about 26 miles out of town. So, yeah, I'm getting further and further away from from the big smoke to, you know, I, I, I long for a view of the ocean and the the, the smell of the, the peatland. So. Yeah, I mean, you said you had musical parents. Tell me a bit, a bit about that. Yeah, so... Um, Back in the day, my father was quite a well-known local musician. Um, uh, he's best known for performing in a band called Island Express, which were kind of like a run rig type band back in the 70s and 80s. Um, so that kind of got me into that world, uh, kind of knowing about that kind of music. Uh, my mother was a fantastic singer. So my, my whole childhood, they were they were heading out to the weekends and, and performing live. Um, and grafting while my, myself and my siblings stayed at my granny's. But there was all, once I got a wee bit older uh, and could stay in the house by myself, they'd, they'd always come home after a gig with, with musical friends or 
or just normal friends and just little Kayleys and little concerts happened in, in the family home. So I just hop on the piano and join in. Uh, I got really good that way. The piano was actually a semitone of tune. Um, so it, it was an old piano and it couldn't take the stress of concert pitch. So when everyone else was playing in the, the lovely key of D or something, I'd be, I'd be rocking up with having to play in C sharp. Uh, but that got me even, you know, even that hardship got me good at what normally pianists would struggle with. Um, and it helped me farewell once I got really into trad music and I had to play along with pipers who are in a different key or, you know, just just crazy things like that. So, yeah. And was there a moment when you realised that this was the thing you wanted to do or was it just, it was just, was it just so much part of your life that it was obvious? Um, yeah, there was a moment. Um, so I was always told never make your hobby your job. During my whole childhood, including my parents were saying that. And uh, I can now uh, absolutely say that that's the worst piece of advice that I ever got in my entire life. Um, but back in the day, I mean, we're talking like late 90s. Um, there was no there was no one making a living out of music up here, like not even close. There was a few people doing quite, quite a good second income with the local playing covers in the local pubs. And there was the odd young band that would go away and live um live very cheaply and you know do their best to try but there was no one there was no one that anyone knew that could survive that could you know buy a house or raise a family on music it just mm. well, unless you were teaching I think that was the only way out of it but teaching was never my it was never my passion um so I studied in the local college here and I got a computing degree and I ended up moving down to study and I got a job uh, a cool company down in near Guildford um, and they were making laser tag arenas and, uh, you know, games like that. So I was coding doing that. I didn't last long. I think I lasted around a year. And then, um, yeah, the I kind of realized what was important to me and place is important. And it's just like, I don't want to... I don't want to spend my life on a dual carriageway heading to London. Um, and that part of Guildford was lovely. It was it's a part of the green, like a uh, green belt, I think they call it. And it's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was just a lovely single track roads. I should have loved it, but uh, it just wasn't the same as home. So uh, yeah, I just got, got homesick and uh, packed up my car, a little green Corsa at the time and uh, headed home. And then when I got home, I got a, uh, a job back in the college that I just got a degree from, being IT technician, which was the best proper job that I've ever had in my life. Amazing people to work with. It was great working in the college. And then I just got too busy doing music. And then my holidays ran out. And then that day I just went, okay, that's, that's, uh, this is decision time. Do I cool the music opportunities or do I take a running jump off this cliff? And that was in, 2007 so yeah things are going okay so what happened in 2007 so uh i'm uh had my own house by that point mm -hmm. with my with my now wife and um we got two wee kittens and one of them the two kittens got chased by the next door neighbor's dog when we were just putting them out for, you know, for the first time and i felt terrible and i was out all night we found one straight away but i was out all night looking for the other one and there was midges and everything. It was dire. And I remember sitting in my 
sitting room taking a break at like 4.30 in the morning. Like it was the middle of summer, so it was bright. And um, yeah, I just had a moment of clarity, what was important to me. I've always been scared of sleepwalking through life, not taking opportunities or not seeing what I could do, what, what the best I could do is. And that day I just uh, decided I went into work that morning. We still hadn't found the kitten. I went into work that morning and handed him my notice. And uh, when I came back the next day, one of the one of the neighbours had the cat safe in the house. So um, everything worked out and I handed him my notice in a moment of, I don't know, uh, maybe clarity or maybe just turmoil. And uh, yeah, I just thought, okay, I made that decision. Let's let's run with that. And was that when you set up We Studio or was it later? It was, yeah. So that would have been summer of 2007. Um, I probably uh, had maybe a month's notice. So I was probably in September, I was technically unemployed. And uh, that's when I went down to the accountant and started planning. Uh, at that point, I was, um, you know, performing music. So I had, I had income there. So I just got busy doing that. And uh, so I was taking money in just to self-employed as Keith Morrison then while I made a plan. And then uh, I went to my parents' house and I ripped out one of the bedrooms and I put uh, my recording equipment in there that I'd just been buying over the years as a, you know, just something I love doing. I, my, my father had recording equipment while I was growing up, so I stole half of his stuff. Um, and I kind of learned how to do it while I was, while I was young. So as soon as the, that was all together. That's when I went. Okay, let's everything I do. Let's put it under the umbrella of a studio, hmm. and that's what I did. And so, We Studio was officially born in February two thousand and eight. After all that was 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 ready to go. And to be honest, I uh, I didn't really have high hopes for it. I knew I'd be able to perform and do well, but uh, no one had really done a successful a successful studio here that that was financially viable. But I just thought if I if I married it together with my performance or with any any other crazy ideas I I could think of I I could make it somewhat work for a few years before I have to get you know a proper job. And uh, at that point, Vince's Trust were offering uh, a thousand pound grant to uh, any young person starting a business. So I ran down with a business plan and financial projections that I thought were absolutely cuckoo. <laughs> and I just gave it to them and here's my business, here's my idea. And um, I got a thousand pounds for starting the business. So I, uh, I bought a laptop with it so I could record remotely and do DJ sets and stuff. And I think that laptop made me, that was my best money to income ratio item I've ever bought, you know, apart from my phone maybe. And then a few years Maybe a year later, I won Young Business of the Year Award, which was another £1,000 award. And then uh, when that happened, I moved out of my parents' house uh, to a little unit in Riggs Road, which you've been to yourself, Andrew, mm -hmm. which served me very, very well for 11 years. And that's when I hung up that award in that place. I went, oh, maybe I'm not fooling everyone maybe this can be a real thing so you know that that um those little grants i mean th that two thousand pounds over two years was 
believe it or not, make or break. That was that was some serious uh, safety money or serious equipment money, and that turned it from something you're doing in your bedroom and getting good at to a viable business that won an award. And as soon as that happened, uh, I got recognition. I got um, a wee bit of trust, a wee bit of faith from other local businesses. And before I knew it, I was doing live sound for events for businesses. I was doing live sound for the Hebkelt, everything out with the tents. I was doing live sound for everything at the mod when it arrived, all the council stuff. I was, and I was recording all week long audiobooks or bands or uh, getting grants from Creative Scotland to scout to scout musicians that never had money but incredible talent and you, you know yourself that's peppered throughout these whole islands so I had a massive pond to fish in mm. and as soon as the, the financial barrier was, was eased on them I got really busy really quickly so so yeah, that's how it started. February 2008 was the, the first one of my parents, and I think 2011 I moved into the, the industrial estate. I mean, it must have been quite a big thing for a lot of local musicians to be able to record without leaving the island, right? I mean, who, who were the kind of people who you were working with in those early years? Well, it was a, it was a wide range of people. Um, there was another great studio um, or another couple of great studios in people's houses as well. So there was there was a wee bit of people working all over the place. So I was uh, in my massively collaborative nature, trying to do as much with with everyone in the scene as possible. Um, but uh, I remember a good friend of mine, Sean Harrison, who lives around the corner now. I was playing in the local pub called the Clachan, and he came up with his phone. This is before iPhones. It was like a little Nokia, and he'd mm. recorded some songs in the Nokia and put it up to my ear in the middle of the pub. So I was like, okay, do you want to come around Tuesday? So he came around and so we started recording and there was Ali Murray, who's my old, there was like uh, my own band like Face the West and there was some other traditional stuff happening and lots of Gaelic singers and um, lots of singer-songwriters. Uh, there was a few uh, like um, pop punk was kind of doing its, its rounds at the time. So there was, Stuttgart traffic and there was uh, the Sea Atlas who was doing kind of like piratey folk music and um, there was a whole wide range of stuff and it was the heyday of um, music streaming I think it was just the transition between people buying music mm. the good old days um, from iTunes going to Spotify or Apple Music or you know the illegal ones at the time so at that time social so the social kind of vibe of music music lovers completely changed. Prior to that, you would have to be, you would have to live the scene. You'd have to go, I love metal music. But you couldn't love metal music unless you dressed in it, unless you lived it, unless you could, unless you knew about it. Mm. It wasn't, none of, none of the scenes were welcome for you to be in. Like you couldn't like a couple of traditions and authentically be a fan. You needed to know how to play you needed to be going to the cardinal fiddle club you needed to be brought up in it really mm. and as soon as the internet changed all that because now you can be a little bit of a fan of everything and that social change was was mirrored in the studio where you'd have someone coming in and doing a really heavy rock song and then be back the next week with their acoustic guitar doing the most beautiful song they've written about their dog that died mm. 
and they, there would be no shame in that anymore. Whereas before, they would have to completely separate the, the scenes. But that suited the musicians up here. People aren't, people up here, especially back then, weren't told what to do. They weren't advised by a business plan which audience to target. They were just doing whatever they wanted. Do you think it's easier to do that on an island kind of far away from because of the big music scene in Glasgow or Edinburgh or London? Oh, absolutely. I'd say that with any walk of life, to be honest. I'd say if you're in a big city, if you don't specialize in something and get amazing at something, you get you get lost in the noise. Mm. I mean, if you're just, imagine if you're a genetic builder as opposed to the best tiler. People are always going to hire the best tiler. But if you if, if you do tiling well, but you do lots of other stuff, you get, you know, you get lost in the noise. It's very similar in the music industry. That if you don't become something really interesting in, in, in a spike of something, you, you can't fit through. You can't fit through the, just the, the, the mass of, of music and the mass of, of musicians, I try to look away and not focus at uh, any kind of stats or numbers. But I bet if you look at how many tracks are getting uploaded on Spotify every second, it would be quite discouraging. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, on an island, I think it's, or even any small community, but especially this island where we grew up in, uh, it's that you're what you make is of more of more worth instantly. You're already 10 steps ahead than if you make it in a massive city where everyone else who's doing that type of music have been doing it 10 years longer and got 10 years better than you. And they might not still be getting the opportunities that you, you're expecting to get straight away. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, because it's sort of counterintuitive, isn't it? Because the, the sort of the conventional wisdom is that if you want to make it in music then you go to a big city, you know, you go to the heart of where the industry is. But um, I mean, we Studio has very much proved i mean with pete and diesel in particular we'll come back to in a in a minute that that's not the case um, i mean but let's let's i mean let's talk about we studio records when did you set that up set that up in 2017 i think officially so i was kind of doing it in-house for my own acts anyway um but uh my friend colin colin mcleod mm-hmm. the boy who trapped the sun um so we're all we're all friends in this music scene, and we all we all chat about ideas and you know share things and uh, help each other out. That's that's why we get into music, not for the money anyway. And we were chatting about uh, record labels, and it was him that told me to do it. He said, "You've got everything in place. You've got the studio time ready, so that's a massive expense that you can cover in house, um, and you do you do everything else." So. Um, yeah, I was considering it, and we were playing with a few of our friends, which became the Tumbling Souls. And Colin was part of that for the first video that we did. And I went, okay, let's 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 start this label officially and see what I can do. So that was the first album we did. And we we recorded videos um, where we played in random places like Anlanta or my dad's carpet shop or just random places like that, and. I took a, a mobile recording rig with microphones and a laptop and lighting and cameras and uh, live recorded the band playing these songs. And that was doing well. So that was like my PR strategy, but it was also us just making stuff that we liked. Amazing songs written by Willie Campbell. And then uh, we went to Black Bay, uh, another incredible studio here. And my friend uh, Pete Fletcher recorded the album. 
and then we manufactured CDs, vinyls, and cassette tapes. And it was very much market research, just to see if if we if we make something good and sell it. Uh, how how does it all work? How does it you know? There's, there's so much legality and so much paperwork and so much organizing to do in a label. So it was just he, um, just making sure I could do it and do it well. So that's one of my my proudest achievements in life. Actually, was was getting all that sorted because there's lots of members and lots of moving parts. So it's just a uh, you know test. Can I sit down and get it, get this done? And yeah, so that's that was the start of it. That was 2017, and then um, I went, okay, it worked. Let's let's see who else we can help. And it was the the main motivation behind the label was to um, was to fill a financial gap. No, no band can walk into a bank and go, "Can I have ten thousand pounds to make an album?" That um, probably won't make its money back. <laughs> It's it's terrible financial decisions, um, especially on your own. Maybe once you've made a team like I have, it's 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 a bit less scary. But um, all the funding that I used to get um, to scout young talent and get them get their demos recorded so they could gig that that had all dried up um, throughout the years when public public uh, funding got harder to get. So I decided just to bankroll it myself if I find some really good talent and I want to record them I I will I'll just go and do it so that's so that's basically it it's basically a really simple independent label contract where I go I'll pay for everything and if it makes money you can have half of it <laughs> that's that's pretty much it if it doesn't make enough money to pay that's on me don't don't you worry about it so it was just to get recording the the amazing talent that that is there and it was kind of a fork in the road. It's do do I do I only record people that are financially well off, um, that might not have the ta- talent, or do I find the people that have the talent and the drive and the passion, but are financially not well off, that can't risk this financially, and the second column probably uh, is ninety five percent of the musicians in in the world. I'd say. So yeah, it's just. It was just trying to figure out a path. And in the meantime, we're still really busy running the studio as a studio. We're still really busy doing lots of other events and uh, other solutions for companies and everything to keep this business financially stable while we take those risks. So, you've, I mean, you've done this incredible thing, which is invest in all these local musicians, who many of whom have gone on to do uh, really great things. And, um, and and that's kind of an investment in the local scene and the kind of, uh, the, you know, uh, 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 which is a wonderful thing in itself. But, but your investment has paid back really well with one act in particular who we need to talk about, which is Pete and Diesel. Um, tell me about the discovery of Pete and Diesel. Well, uh, a lot of people don't know about... Um... I've known them a very, very, very long time. Um, Innes in particular was in my very first band. So he was driving me around while I was 15 years old. I would have been 18 or 19. Um, he was driving me to band practice with a few other friends um, in a band called Face the West. So that was the genius idea. And Innes was a lot of a drive behind that to make it fun and make us all good. So I've known Innes since my very beginning of my professional music career. Um, Boydie's a bit younger. Boydie used to come to all my gigs. He was a big fan. And 
while I was packing up uh, equipment at the end, which was always me for some reason, he would be sitting on the windowsill, not helping with the gear. That hasn't changed. Um, he would be sitting on the windowsill with a beat up old acoustic singing the songs that he'd written. And this would have been over 10 years before Pete and Diesel started. Mm. So uh, every now and again, I'd record Boydie for, for free or for next to nothing, just because he's a pal and got some songs. So, you know, the beginning of the labels, maybe the label R&D or, you know, uh, um, yeah, this just get getting the spark into him. And then by that point, Dennis had another band after a few years called Rock Island Line, and they were doing local local shows and they needed an electric guitarist so myself and Boydie sat down and we recorded just a rocking uh thrad tune in six eight but with electric guitar doing the solo instead of a instead of you know a trad instrument sent that to Ennis and I went uh this guy would be good for your band and uh Boydie joined their band for a few months and that's kind of where it began and and then it kind of split ways until Boydy started writing songs and putting them online and he was sending me the songs. And then, yeah, just after a wee while, I, I remember being on tour with Colin. I think we were in, I think we were heading to the Netherlands to do a festival I was doing sound for. And I was just chatting to him once the label started and I was like, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Pete and Diesel being my second act of my label. And we all agreed that was a terrible idea and what a nightmare that would be. Um, but they're my pals. O on paper, it was a terrible idea. Like they, they, they hadn't done that much online. Like the videos got some views, but very rarely does that um, translate into, you know, any financial success at all. But I just kind of grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, took him to the studio, um, signed a deal with them, and yeah, we just we got busy, and I just worked my socks off. So did they, and it it worked. And it turned into a chance to get lots of amazing, incredible fans. The people we've we've met along the way is genuinely life changing. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just taken off in this is incredible way. I mean, when when was when did you get the sense that that was actually happening? That there was something quite unusual um, happening there. Probably just before I signed them. Actually, probably the week before I signed them. Uh, our pal Roddy, who who's, plays a big part in booking the bands in EDF Festival in Newest, um, he was just watching our social medias, maybe, and uh, invited them down to do a show way, way before they should have mm. done, like way, way, way before they were ready. But they're all, all three of them had done lots of gigs. They're all good musicians. Um, so they came down and threw together a set and they played in the smaller tent at a really bad time. And I had been hired to go down and film highlights reel for EDF. And the place just got busy. It got piled and everyone knew the words to all the songs because Boydie had already leaked terrible versions of them with his iPhone online. So everyone knew all the words to these songs that had never been recorded. And I went, ah, oh, okay. People love this. This is a big fan base already. So that was the moment I was I was in 100% was, was that concert. I did an interview at... In a little tent behind their tent afterwards, and they're all really even nervous to be talking in an interview. Even to me, uh, they just don't know what to say, and it's it's a uh, it's it's really innocent, and you know, it's a cute interview that we, that we look back at every now and again. Um, so yeah, as soon as as soon as I got that trigger, as soon as I was like, okay, this 
they've now got this to a point where they deserve somebody to to give their heart and soul with them. And I just, mm. without knowing if it would ever make a penny, I just got, went into it like an obsessive maniac like I do. And I just went to work. Went to work recording, went to work pub- publicizing, went to work progressing it. And we knew at the beginning that the, the fan base was the engine. So there's different ways to mm. market things. Sometimes you, you, you focus on industry. Sometimes you focus on promoters. Sometimes you focus on radio. Just depending on, sometimes it's social media. It just depends. And we realized that the fans were, the fans were everything. If you have the numbers of the fans um, supporting them, you, you have so much muscle. You can demand to play in a venue. You can, you can pick good people that are good at what they're doing to to help you. Um, you can get to know much better people than you, much more clever people than you that give you advice and look after things. If you have that muscle, if you have that engine. So, yeah, we just went down that route of making lots of friends, and yeah, it's it's gone from strength to strength. I mean, it strikes me that there's a couple of things that are really distinctive about about Pete and Diesel, other than just having really great tunes, right? I mean, one is that they're very, um, very kind of rooted in the island. Their songs are about being from here, and but in a way that people from many other places relate to, because it's it's that kind of local thing that, that you know the the local is universal thing, right? And the other thing is that they're a they're a working class band, and there aren't many of those yeah. these days. Yeah, I mean, what what, what do you put there? the success down to yeah well the local thing we thought was going to be the biggest hindrance <laughs> to be honest i mean he's singing about the cabaret and mm. who's going to know what a random hotel and the headscarts of starnow is going to be you know and it meant something to us it meant a lot to us that's where we've lived our lives but we thought that that would be that would be a barrier and it turned into like a puzzle for these fans to figure out what is this what it, it turned into some sort of lore that he'd created and uh, yeah, just a happy accident there. And I think it's even though people don't know specifically what he's talking about, I think it'd be the 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 how he feels about it, or everyone knows the type of person he's talking about, and everyone knows the type of place he's talking about, and everyone's mm. been through or knows someone that's been through the type of story he's talking about. So it's to to make it so specifically local made it really human. That was just an accident, to be honest. That's just him singing about what he knows. And that wasn't a business decision. That wasn't a... He didn't look at the markets. There's no focus groups. He's just... He had nothing else to sing about apart from where he'd been and what he did. And so that's... That's lovely. And we go all around, we go all around the place now and everyone's... Everyone's really excited to learn about these things. And even like the little Gaelic phrases, people not from our part of the world, sing along and they're slightly wrong and it's funny and it means they, they change the meaning. and uh, We just love things like that. And it's it's proud to be packaging up what, what belongs to you or what belonged to your grandparents or great-great-grandparents, packaging it and taking it and letting other people enjoy it. Like the Gaelic language is something to be celebrated and enjoyed and the same with the music. These things weren't created for any other reason than to connect with humans or, you know, to have a great time or, mm-hmm. or for therapy or to get you through a hardship or these are, these are beautiful things that it's like our ace card, really, where we come from. It's the, the, the music and the language is like our, it's like a shortcut into our culture. 
it's it's hard to live here for 40 years, but it's really easy to listen to the music and listen to the words and and love that. So it's that's 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 a very proud thing for us to do. And I think that feels authentic to people. Um and yeah, the the the, the thing that it's a he's mentioned it's a working class band. I think that's all we have here. It's it's very difficult to to be anything but that living here. It's even if even if you're lucky enough to have you know a, a posh office job in the public sector, you're still buying. You're still going to a shop and buying your firewood at the same place as everybody else, and you're you're still best friends with with the guy that's fixing your uh, your slates and your roof. You know you grew up together, and your kids are friends, and in in a way, he's more useful than the guy in the office, and seen as uh, you know more important up here than 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 the other so it's the the, the class thing doesn't really work here I, and it kind of confused me when i did move away that it was a thing because i'd never really experienced it or grew up with it so yeah so i think what is working class i think is is it human it's just mm-hmm. it's just human music and i think work to to see it as working class is, is, is kind of makes sense because the working class music of old was also human because yeah, it was real mm. I mean, I mean, it strikes me that the success of a band like Pete and Diesel is really a vindication of your decision to stay and work here and make a life here because it's rooted in uh, it, all their music and their lyrics are rooted in this place and 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 their formation is rooted in you know those friendships and um and going back back years and years. Um, I mean, you are sort of uh, I was, was going to say your relationship with. Pete and Diesel was a great sort of example of your incredible multitasking because I I, I kind of lose count of the amount of things you do for them. You you know you, yeah. you do their sound, you yeah. kind of organize their tours, you their you're their label boss. You're kind of a, a, a one man you know one man operation. I mean most touring bands will have a kind of whole crew, but you seem to do well quite a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Especially especially when we're home. Um, I mean, there is a lot of really good people that are doing expert jobs that I that I couldn't do so I try and learn off them um or try to keep relationships as as a uh, as busy and as good as, as possible um I think the, the the most important part of being the guy that does everything is knowing when not to do the thing <laughs> it's, it's 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 hard to relinquish control um so that I think that's the the biggest thing I always always have to keep an eye on is um okay I'm terrible at graphic design uh, let's. I'm not an artist. Let's get an incredible artist on. So you'd get, you know, an, an incredible company like Loom doing the branding and the merch, and or you'd. Uh, I I hate putting I hate putting gigs on. I I hate beh- the behind the scenes of. You know, it's 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 the, it's 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 a difficult world. That I my personality doesn't really belong in. Um. So you know, you you work with incredible people like. Uh, Beyond Presents and Alipool who've who put on loads and loads of gigs and I have a good relationship with them because they used to put lots of gigs on over here on the island with touring musicians and I used to look after their their sound and their tech and all, all the things so yeah it's just harvesting these relationships you've been creating over the years but I mean if there's a job needs done um, it's a similar with, with everyone in the band really the, the four of us if a job needs done one of us goes and does it if if, if we need a van I'll I'll go get one and I'll drive it. If 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 a video needs made, I'm there with a camera. If there's uh 
if I need to get to the roof here in the studio, it disappears with scaffolding. You know, it's that's kind of how we work in the islands. And every time you have an issue, it's an opportunity to have somebody else solve that problem. And that's how you make friends. You know, you go through hardships together and you you you, you turn up and look after each other. And I think, especially when I move to the mainland or any time I spend in the mainland, I, I, I miss that uh, connection. I remember when um, the movie Avatar came out and uh, loads of people who live in cities got us, got, I think that a condition was named after it where people were longing for that community or were longing for that kind of life. Uh, that kind of clicked to me. I was like, I have that. And I don't want to, I don't want to ever give up, give that up. And every time I, literally every time I go and, I'm trying to find parking in a city or something happens and there's not a lot of support that would be expected or automatic here. I just go, man, I hate cities. Um, I just want to go home. So it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. Really, I don't really thrive there like I do here. Oh, that's fantastic. I don't think I've ever heard the Isle of Lewis compared to the alien planet and Avatar before. That's fantastic. Go. <laughs> that's we're, we're, we're the same kind of color because we don't get much sun. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got a couple more questions that I want to ask you. Um, I mean, the yeah. first is we've got to talk about the move from Wii Studio to, well, I mean, it's still called Wii Studio, but it's not a Wii Studio anymore, is it? Yeah, no. It's sort of become an ironic title now. Yes, I'd agree with that. Yeah, so that happened. I think I bought the building nearly two years ago. Mm -hmm. So in, in March. So it was a, a large building that was created to be a call center in South Dell. And Ness, which is in the top of the Isle of Lewis, but never really became one. There was a few businesses that kind of moved in and used parts of it, but it's a it's it's a, it's a large building. And uh, throughout COVID, things were looking pretty dire. So again, I sat down and made a decision: Do I uh, get get slower and smaller and protect, or here I am at another cliff? Do I run and jump off it? And so, of course, I ran and jump, jumped off it. So I was thinking of building a a shed or a barn in, in my croft. But over COVID, the price of materials exploded. So then I was like, OK, I'm kind of liking the idea of moving, though, and trying harder, doing more. At the point at that time, I was 38. And I thought, I've got maybe 20 years of blitzing in me before I collapse. And I thought, okay, let's see if I can just find a building that I can renovate. And I was looking and looking, and this place was turned up. There was a um, the Golson Trust were in here just before COVID. Their their building burnt down, so they moved into this building for a wee while. But it was too cold for them. And once COVID started, they 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 moved out, and everyone went home to work. And then afterwards, uh, the building went up for rent. And then I spoke to the powers that be and demanded to buy it. Really. So I bought this building and it took me a year to turn it from an empty shell into the exact recording studio that I wanted. Um, I took inspiration from barn studios in Nashville because that's very musician orientated rather than producer orientated. Mm. And I knew I wanted it to be an open plan studio where I would be in the big room with everybody because as soon as you pick me up and put me in another room, the the magic's gone everyone will be in that other room with me because that's how my other studio ended up so 
I just seen how it could work. You know, looking at lines of sight, looking at isobooths. There's an incredible view here of of Moorland, and then yeah, I've designed it. It's still not a hundred percent done, but we've been working in here for the last year. And just every time there's a quiet part, I'm up on a ladder with a hammer or my poor employee Scott's full of black paint, you know, and he's like painting things. And um, it just means we can tweak and we can tweak. And um, I'm just moving the the monitors, uh, you know, the speakers of the studio around ever so slightly all the time and trying different things and analyzing every time I've got some some spare time. And um, it just means we can record anyone at, in any format we can we can record people separately. We can have a whole band up in a circle and record them. We can have most of the band in a big room and drums in one room and singer in the other or gives us so many options. Um, and in the near future, we're going to be having in-studio concerts, like in-studio sessions where a band can come up and record all week. And then on the Friday night, we can have an audience come in and sit down and put wireless headphones on and listen to the band. A perfect mix, even though the drummer's in an isolated room you you put the headphones on it would be like a perfect concert and that's really enticing to make it really family orientated so uh, a 10 year old can come at 2 2 p.m on a saturday and come and be really 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 inspired be sitting and watching an incredible band maybe their favorite band at a volume that they like because they've Mm. got their own volume controls or people with sensory issues maybe you've got the most beautiful singer in the world who's who's got autism and they can't be anywhere loud they can be they can sit in the back on a sofa with their headphones on and really feel part of the music community there you know it, it'll make it really accessible so that was kind of the dream of the studio and yeah it's uh it seems to be it seems to be working so far so good and you talked earlier about wanted to be somewhere with a view of the sea and you just about do have a view of the sea out the window which is a, a, a lovely yeah bit, yeah so there's there's a loch. We've got everything really. We've got. I'm just looking at it right now. There's a there's a loch, and then a wee bit more land, and then there's the Atlantic, and then it poke the Atlantic pokes over there a wee bit more, and even all the way and drive up. Well, for the second half of the drive up, just you've got the Atlantic on your left coming all the way up, and you're seeing beaches and waves. And to to pick an artist up off the ferry in Stornoway and drive all the way up here, it blows their mind. It absolutely just blows their mind. And there's loads of amazing beaches up here, Ness and. So on our time off, like a lunchtime, I'll take them up to the lighthouse so they can be the most northwest they've ever been. And then we go see some beaches and, you know, it just inspires them. It's it's just, especially if they come from a city, it's it's uh, it's just so peaceful. And where we are with the studio is you might have maybe a car pass every hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. And it's just so peaceful and nice. And next to this, you know, we have the storms like we've been having. Um, but it's... Uh, it's heaven. It's a dream come true. I, I would never have a place this big or this kitted out if I was on the mainland. They would, it just wouldn't have happened. So it, there's lots of hindrances. There's lots of bad things about being cut off, about being so away from you know the, the central belt. But it doesn't even touch the amount of things that have been good about it over my career. It's I've just been yeah lucky to be born here, I think. Absolutely. Um, Keith, thank you so much um, for, uh, for sharing all that. It's been brilliant. Um, just one last question. Um, what would you say to somebody who would like to do what you do for a living? Are there any sort of nuggets of advice? Yeah. Um, it's it's really, really, really hard work. 
really, really, really hard work. But it's also really, really, really good work. Hard work doesn't mean bad work. And if you're doing something you love, um, you'll fly. You'll do really, really well. Um, you just got to balance the, the the creative side or the side of it that makes you want to do it with the with you got to create a business person inside you even if it's the most alien thing in the world and you just got to sit down with the numbers and make plans and as long as you're making more money than you're spending you're in business Keith Morrison of We Studio and We Studio Records, thank you so much um, for spending this time with us. And um, this has been Unlanta's Artist Support Podcast, uh, presented with support from the Foyle Foundation. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, look out for more of these in the months to come. <laughs>